The Heidelberg Catechism, written in Germany in 1562, is one of our 12 confessions that make up our Presbyterian Constitution and one of our 12 Book of Confessions, in the Book of Confessions. Our various confessions uh, have been written across the centuries to help us understand and articulate the faith that is ours. This catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, has 129 questions and answers, and they're grouped for devotional study set up so you can do a few every week across every week of the whole year, 52 Sundays. One question in the Heidelberg Catechism asks this, what is meant by the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? And the answer in the Catechism offers the following. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we are affirming God alone provides for our bodily and basic needs and we are acknowledging that God is the only source of all that is good and without God's blessings, neither our care nor our labor nor God's gifts can do us any good. Therefore, we are to withdraw our trust from all creatures and place our trust in God alone. That is a powerful and faithful thought, all emerging from that one often repeated phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It means all of that and more. All good things come from God, and we are therefore to place our trust in God alone and keep trying, striving to serve God. We have another story today, a story to listen to from the Gospel of Luke, a story that wants to help us with trusting God and serving God. But first, a little bit of background on this story. This story includes a Samaritan. Samaritans were descendants of generations of intermarriage between Jews that had been left behind in the Babylonian exile when many of God's people were carried away from the land around 600 B.C., and also Gentiles, Jews left behind, and Gentiles who settled there coming uh, by the conquering Assyrians. So Samaritans have a long history and connection with the Jewish people, but is often awkward and is often also antagonistic. Imagine the Roman Catholics and the Protestants in the early modern Europe situation with their mutual bigotries, their suspicions, their sometimes tendencies toward violence against each other all through the ages. Samaritans, Jews, similar. We also know about another story with a Samaritan. It's a very much more familiar story in Luke's gospel, the Good Samaritan. Jesus' wonderful example of what it looks like to actually love your neighbor. You remember the story, the Samaritan, unlike the religious leaders who came down the same dangerous road, the Samaritan stopped on this dangerous road and helped a beaten man, in fact, picked him up, carried him to help and healing. And Jesus says, 
go and do likewise. Like this Samaritan, Jesus says in Luke 10. Now we tune in to Luke 17. Listen. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up. And go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. There are some important insights to gain from this passage, insights that encourage us in faithful living. First, Jesus is doing his thing in this story. He's come on the scene to help and to heal, to inaugurate the reign of God in our midst in our midst so we can see it so we can experience it and as he moves along in this region between Samaria and Galilee 10 lepers approach him they want to be healed but following custom they keep their distance it says and they cry out with reverence and with hope Jesus master asking for mercy and he offers help and healing to them Jesus hears them and engages them. Go and show yourselves to the priest. The ten lepers find themselves healed along the way. But then, then the story shifts. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. So many things to celebrate about this passage. Jesus comes to heal. That means our lives, our hurts, our worries. Jesus comes to heal. It's in this passage. Lepers see Jesus, and they ask for mercy, revering Jesus. A nice message for us, too. And then all ten are healed by this amazing and generous Jesus. All ten obey Jesus. They head off to see the priest, the only one who can verify their cleanliness and allow them back into the community. Yet what does Jesus celebrate in this particular story? It's not reverence for Jesus, because they all had that. It's not obedience to Jesus, because they all obeyed him and went on their way as he instructed them. It's not theological correctness that he's celebrating or what they thought about some hot-button issue that we assume is the most important issue that Jesus cares about. None of that. Jesus celebrates the one, one 
who returned and praised God. Jesus celebrates the Samaritan who gives specific expression to the gratitude that he feels, speaking it to Jesus by prostrating himself and singing praise and thanks. Here's something really important to realize. Jesus in Luke has two Samaritans teach us two important things. One Samaritan shows us what it looks like to be a neighbor and what it means to love your neighbor. And then the other Samaritan shows us what it looks like to thank and praise God. We're often trying to learn what it means to be faithful. And we often learn what it means to be faithful by those who we least expect to teach us that. In this story, it's the Samaritan once again. The outsiders have something to teach us best often about God and loving God and loving neighbor, thanking God and serving God. Jesus says, we're not ten made clean. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? If we're not careful here, you know what we do when we hear this story? If we're not careful, we simply find ways to condemn all those nine. What an ungrateful lot. Who would be like that? We might say, how could they be so thoughtless? Jesus turned their lives totally around. He healed them, made them clean. Are they unable to praise and thank God? Who would do that? And then, this is the point Jesus wants to make. As soon as we look down on the nine, judge them as ungrateful, dismiss them as something we would never do, we miss how this story might be speaking right to our hearts. And yet, when we revere Jesus, uh, even obey Jesus, we still miss out on what matters. Actually, I don't think the nine were even ungrateful at all. I don't think they were... Uh, they were just mostly doing what Jesus told them to do. Go and see the priest. They ran off to see the priest because they were so ready to be clean. They revered Jesus enough to ask him for healing and they obeyed him by running their way. And yet, when we revere Jesus and when we obey Jesus, we still may miss out on something Jesus is trying to teach us that matters so much, something very important to Jesus. Praise and thanks and gratitude. Gratitude which shapes everything about our lives. I think the nine actually are pretty much like all of us. Think about this. Maybe one of them had been super successful achieved so much in life, but then got exposed to some terrible disease, leprosy. And when Jesus healed him, all he could think about was getting back to his previous life, his impressive, successful life. So that was his focus. Why would he turn around? Maybe one of them was a person filled with grief. 
when we lose a loved one or when we anticipate pain and loss that can be so devastating like grief, we can become paralyzed. That even when our life is filled with something new and grand, we just drift along. And praise and thanksgiving and gratitude, they're not what we think about generally. Maybe one of the lepers was an overwhelmed young parent. So much to juggle kids, life, jobs, household, maintaining a peaceful demeanor in every moment. This happens to us. There are so many things that get our personal attention. Too many irons in the fire. Praise and thanks and gratitude? Maybe not. Maybe several of the lepers just had too much on their hearts. Worries about personal life, struggles, carrying on in the ho-hum. Maybe it was the heavy concerns of the world, like the political turmoil we know, or international issues that get our attention. Things weigh on us, and when things weigh on us, it's never our intention to be ungrateful. No one intends to be ungrateful. It happens to us. We get lost in other places, and we get directed by other things. So, you see my point? If we just condemn the nine and let them go on their way, we miss the message. Jesus comes to help and to heal. But Jesus cares a great deal about praise and thanks and gratitude because praise and thanks and gratitude, well, that is what shapes a wholesome, faithful life. Meister Eckhart had it right a long time ago when he said this, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will suffice. That will suffice. Because to say thank you in our prayers is to strive for that insight from the Heidelberg Catechism. God alone provides all we need. God goes with us all our days. We place our trust in God and we keep going. And the really important prayer, the really important posture is thank you, gratitude. Another great theologian put it this way, the biggest sin of our lives is not ever what we might do to each other. The biggest sin of our lives is not ever what we fail to do for each other. The biggest sin of our lives is forgetting. Forgetting who loves us, forgetting who provides for us, forgetting where our hope and our light come from. We forget who holds us forever. It changes us when we forget. We forget that we are absolutely covered by blessings, and our only calling is to be a blessing. Not successful, not impressive, not important. We're called to be a blessing in the world, following Jesus. This is why that first lesson from Deuteronomy seems so important today. With every new day, we want to say or hear again, take heart, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God. The Lord has always brought us along. 
The Lord always sustains us no matter what happens. Remember the Lord your God, it says in Deuteronomy over and over. Remember with thanks and praise. There's something else that's really cool about this little passage in Luke 17 about this 10 lepers and one turning around. All through Luke's gospel, there's this recurring theme of what faithful life looks like. Returning and praising God. That's what faithful life looks like. Returning and praising God. And we have it in this passage by the Samaritan. Do you remember what it says in the Christmas story when the shepherds left the fields and they went to Bethlehem to see this Messiah born? And then when they encountered him, it says they returned and praising God, saying all that they had seen and heard. Luke 2, Luke 17, the leper turns and praises God for what happened to him. And then at the end of Luke, when Jesus ascends into heaven, it says the disciples worshiped him and then they returned, giving thanks, going back to Jerusalem to serve him with great joy. It keeps coming up. What does faithful life look like? Turn and return in praise of God. Turn and find life with God. Turn and remember who holds you forever. Turn and keep turning to say thanks, to express deep gratitude, for this changes everything about us, everything. Gratitude shapes us. This is Jesus' point. This is what Jesus celebrates. Turn, praise, thanks. And then one other point. It's not just about gratitude. Jesus says to the one who turned and came back, get up now and go. So we get this true picture of what faithful life looks like. Praise and thanks, and then get up and serve God. Return in praise and thanks, and then go and spread God's love and peace in the world. Return and give thanks, and then go and feed my sheep, tend my lambs, be my people. Live out your baptism. Return and give thanks. Sing. Come to worship. And then hit the streets in Richmond and as far as we can go, serving God in the world. Return and keep returning and giving thanks. And then commit your life to living and serving as disciples. It's all depicted so beautifully in just a few verses here. Remember, praise and thanks, and then get up and go. This is what we're all about, always. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Keep touching our life with your spirit, O oh God. Keep calling us back to your presence and care so we're filled with gratitude and awe and purpose. And then keep sending us out to spread your love and light in the world. For we seek to follow Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.